You're listening to the Behavioral Wealth Podcast with Dr. Dan Pallison. Dr. Dan is a licensed clinical psychologist, a speaker, and a financial advisor. He serves as the Chief of Investor Behavior at Keystone Wealth Partners. Dr. Dan is passionate about helping people tap into the behaviors that bring about wealth, health, and happiness. And now, here's Dr. Dan. Hey, welcome to the Behavioral Wealth Podcast. I'm Dr. Dan. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I have to start just by acknowledging what's going on in the world since my last recording. Uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine, and I want to share the heaviness on my heart, just like many of you out there that have been following all of this. Uh, you know, Jordan and I have have really been glued to the coverage and literally shed tears just just seeing the devastation of Ukraine and the separation of Ukrainian families. You know, I've been holding my boys tighter every night, just watching, you know, what can still happen here in 2022, you know, in our world, uh, and just uh, appreciating the the freedom and the safety and the security, you know, that, that we often take for granted. And, uh, you know, I don't mean to make this about me or, or to even come off as preachy, but I just want to just, just share the heaviness of my heart and, and maybe connect with some of you out there who, who feel the same way. You know, it's hard to see the importance of discussing anything else, really, uh, but this is a money and behavior podcast. So I'd like to spend the time that we have today talking about these geopolitical events and conflicts and how they impact the stock market. I've been fielding a lot of questions from clients, especially newer clients, around what we'll be doing from an investment standpoint because of this war in Ukraine. You know, how will we be reacting within the investment portfolios with the information that we have? And I will talk a little bit about geopolitical events and, and their impact on the stock market. But before I do, I want to back out, uh, zoom out a little bit or back up a little bit and just say this, you know, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, we as human beings are not good at predicting things. We're just not good at predicting, you know, other than the weather, which by the way, I, I, I still don't understand how we can predict the weather. I need to to get a meteorologist on this podcast at some point. It's almost like, it just seems like sorcery, right? Like someone sold their soul to the devil to get some kind of a crystal ball to be able to see into the future and know if it's gonna rain in a week or not. It just blows my mind that I can, on my phone, you know, with, with a few taps from my thumb, look at what the temperature will be halfway around the world, you know, a week and a half out. It just, it blows my mind. But anyway, sorry, I digress. In general, humans are not good at predicting things. And a big part of that is our emotions get in the way. Our emotions get in the way and they cloud our judgment. Martin Seligman, uh, he was a former president of the American Psychological Association. He's written a bunch of books. He's sort of the founder of the, the positive psychology movement. Um, and in his book, Learned Helplessness, he references some research around predicting happiness for two very distinct groups. And these groups, uh, number one, were lottery winners. Number two were paraplegics or accident victims. And so when asked to predict the happiness of a lottery winner, most people would say, well, they're, they're going to be very happy. And not just happy in the moment of winning the lottery, but by winning the lottery, they will have increased happiness for the rest of their life and vice versa. Most people would predict that if you're an accident victim and become a paraplegic, you will have decreased happiness for the rest of your life. But when they actually interview these groups and understand how these events impacted their lives, the opposite is true. What we know about lottery winners is they're oftentimes less happy over time. They're more stressed out. They're 
they're left feeling more empty than before they won the lottery itself. And again, the opposite is true for paraplegics. Oftentimes, the paraplegic is happier in their life than maybe before the accident. And I want to be very careful. I'm not saying this an accident was a good thing for them. But what we sort of know about how we make sense of the world is we shift our reference points when some of these major events happen. So for a lottery winner, of course, there's excitement around hitting the jackpot and winning that lottery. But the reference point for happiness has now been shifted upwards. And everything else in life is compared against this new reference point. And it's hard to maintain a high like that. And compounded on winning the lottery itself, lottery winners will often share that it's hard for them to maintain relationships. You know, people are now wanting things from them. They want money or they just have more expectations from them. You know, distant family members are coming out of the woodworks and introducing themselves and just trying to get things from these lottery winners. And so their life over time actually becomes a little bit more stressful as compared to what it was before. And for paraplegics, oftentimes the reference point gets shifted downward. They have this accident, they lose the function of their limbs. And in that moment, there's a lot of folks that struggle with deep, deep depression and hopelessness and emptiness. But as life goes on, they habituate and they get used to the condition and they start to appreciate little improvements and little gains in their lives. And it's almost like it's a reset and, and it helps people just become more just, I guess, appreciative and, and um, satisfied with some of the smaller things. And so it's the shifting of, this, of these reference points and habituation that, you know, carried forward through life. Lottery winners may end up being more stressed out and, and paraplegics end up appreciating life a little bit more. And I want to be careful anytime we're talking about these studies, we're not, meant, we're not meaning to put all people of that group into this box and describe their experience. But when you interview, you know, many, many people in, in a sample, these are some of the themes that come out of, of some of this research. So the point being is that it's hard for us to predict, you know, things like happiness. And I would say that there's some parallels with trying to predict financial markets. Financial markets, they simply reflect, I guess, the consensus confidence of investors in companies' abilities to earn profits in the future. And so like a lottery winner, there's a significant event. It might shift a reference point, but then that person isn't just stuck in that moment of winning the lottery, unfortunately for lottery winners. And life goes on for them. And it's kind of the same for financial markets. You know, there are significant events that impact the markets, but markets don't tend to fixate on one event, especially if it's already happened or is in process of happening. Markets are very much forward-looking and forward-thinking because they just represent all of our you know, investors or consumers' confidence in what companies will do moving forward. So here's an example. You know, Jordan and I are, are heartbroken by this war. But in all honesty, it hasn't really impacted our financial behaviors. You know, we still we've got two growing boys. We still buy clothes at Target for these boys. We still shop at Amazon. We still play in Kanto on repeat on Disney Plus in our home because, you know, these are just the things in our lives that we're continuing on. And when you look across the country and even across the globe, you still have populations that are consuming goods and services and products. And that's essentially what these financial markets are. So let's go back to financial markets and geopolitical events, because in these conversations with clients, you know, by asking some questions, you start to uncover, well, people are scared, you know, people are scared with the impact of these events on their portfolio. 
And that's, I would say that's appropriate. It's appropriate to be looking at, you know, what could be negatively impacting, you know, our well-being. Uh, and for a lot of us, that includes our, our investment portfolios or our retirement savings. And so they're sort of looking for what could go wrong. That's a little bit about how we're wired. But so my point being is I think fears or fear around geopolitical events and the negative impact on your own portfolio is very rational. It's a rational fear to have, and it's very understandable. But what I see over and over again is people are over-predicting the negative impact, you know, on their portfolios. And some conversations with the clients, I've even, you know, it's been uncovered that, you know, some people think that this conflict is going to last years and years and years, which means the markets will be depressed for years and years and years. I mean, yes, the markets are depressed right now, but in uncovering some client assumptions through good question asking, it's obvious that they're fearful that markets will continue to drop, 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 drop for months on end or years on end. So let's look at what actually, you know, what has actually happened, at least in the history of the stock market around some of these geopolitical conflicts and events. Peter Malouk has a great article. I believe you could access it just through his LinkedIn page. I think it's on his thread there. But in his article, he, he shares his thoughts specifically on Ukraine and Russia and the conflict there. But he also has a, a nice graph on there that shows you know, the past 22 significant political events and geopolitical events and conflicts and invasion days. And, and it shows you know, what is the actual impact on the market. And I'm going to go through this really quickly and then we'll end for today. But let me ask you, you know, as you're listening to this, when you think about a significant invasion day or a significant a bombing or a terrorist attack, what is the impact on the market? And my guess is your assumption is that the negative impact is a lot greater than what we actually see. You know, the average one day drop, you know, during these invasion days and, and significant events and terrorist attacks the markets drop on average, but only by 1%. It's 1.1% that we see market drops after one day. And the total drawdown, so how far does the market drop in general after or immediately after some of these, these conflicts, you know, it's less than 5%. So it, what we see is on average about 4.6% drop total drawdown, okay? So that is important. I mean, we do see market drawdowns during these times, but let's talk about how long can we expect these drawdowns to occur. The next number that we focus on is how long to get to the bottom. How long from when that significant event happened to reaching the bottom. And again, in having conversations with clients uh, and other prospective clients, people tend to think it's a lot longer. But on average, it's really about 20 days. We see 19.7 days as the average of markets dropping to the bottom from the significant event. So, you know, right around three weeks, not months and months and months, but about three weeks. But then how long to recover? Because that's what's important. Because, you know, you can talk about all of these numbers, but at the end of the day, you know, markets are depressed. How long do they take to recover? And again, I go back to some clients that, you know, want to go to cash and just, you know, wait for a year or two for the dust to settle and, and then maybe jump back in. But on average, you know, the calendar days to recovery is 43.2. So these events are significant and they can impact the markets greatly. But on average, markets recover about a month and a half after these events. Um, and so the, I guess the two key takeaways and what I'll end with today is don't react to these events. When you start to feel fearful or panicky or anxious, those 
emotions are going to drive some financial behavior desires. They're going to want to make you more conservative. That's very adaptive as a human being. We should be more conservative when we're feeling anxious. That's going to help us survive, but it's about the worst thing you can do when it comes to your money, especially if you're a long-term investor, not just a day trader, but a long-term investor. So becoming fearful and reacting and acting in ways in your portfolio could be could really throw off your the success of your overall retirement plan. So that's number one, don't, don't react. And number two is talk with an advisor about your risk. So, you know, if you're a younger investor, you have 10 years or 20, 30, 40 years that you're investing and saving before you actually need to consume the money that you have set aside, you know, it's oftentimes best to be about as aggressive as you can, but you still want to be intelligent with the type of risk that you're taking on, but you certainly have enough time to be risky. And when I talk about risk, I'm sort of referencing volatility, you know, absorbing a lot of ups and downs in your portfolio. If you have a long time to invest, it's okay to to have that volatility in the portfolio. If you are closer to, you know, maybe you're retired or you're, you're older, you're closer to the time where you need to maybe draw income out of your portfolio, maybe you do need to be more conservative or more balanced. But having a, a conversation with a good independent advisor would be key to this. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. That really helps to get the word out about behavioral wealth. And before acting on anything regarding your finances, please seek the counsel of an independent financial advisor. If you're looking for a place to start, you can check out thebehavioralwealthpodcast.com where you can schedule a free phone consultation with me to help you down the path towards behavioral wealth. Thank you so much for listening. Here's to creating the rhythm in our lives that brings about wealth, health, and happiness. I'm Dr. Dan. This was the Behavioral Wealth Podcast.